The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. So this morning, we're going to be talking about initiative. Maybe you have a handout there in front of you. You want to follow along there. That's why we gave it to you. You can fill in the blank if you're a blank filler inner. But uh, this morning we're talking about initiative. And it, and it, and it reminded me of, uh, of a story about a man who went to the doctor and he was complaining about as, as he's gotten older, he hasn't been able to do the things he normally would do. So he talked about he, didn't, he couldn't clean his gutters anymore and uh, he wasn't mowing his lawn anymore and he wasn't doing the chores around the house like he should. And, and he wanted answers from the doctor. And so the doctor ran all these tests and he said, okay, doc, give it to me straight. Put it in plain English. What's wrong with me? And the doctor said, in plain English, you're lazy. And the man said, okay, now give me a medical term so I can tell my wife. And so I I think we understand what it means to be lazy. We understand what it means to lack initiative. And you know what? There's a, it's a joke to us. Laziness is a joke. And that word is really light to us. And it doesn't hold a lot of weight. And we, we throw it around a lot. We describe people as lazy or that decision was lazy. And we just kind of throw it around. But you know what? Laziness isn't a joke. And the scriptures don't think it is either. And the scripture we're going to look at today comes from Proverbs chapter, chapter 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Or if you want to follow along in your smartphone or tablet or whatever, Proverbs chapter Chapter 6, beginning there in verse 9, here's what it says. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is not, these are not uh, kind and easy and, and playful words when dealing with someone who might be lazy. Can we bring the house lights up just a little bit? I see people opening their, their Bibles, and I just want to make sure you guys can see it. So what's missing from the lazy person's life? Is it motivation? Well, it could be, and it might not be. I mean, for example, I hate mowing my lawn. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I, it's not something that every now and then I enjoy it for a minute. When I get out there, you know, I can put my headphones in. I'm just listening to a podcast or whatever, and I can just kind of uh, all of a sudden I don't have uh, four kids uh, yelling at me or anything like that. I, I've just got this podcast in my head or I've got this music in my head. But then after a while, I'm just I'm over it. But you know what? I'm motivated. I absolutely am motivated. I don't want my lawn to be really tall. I've got a guy across the street who's like the worst neighbor to have in the world because he owns a lawn company so his front yard's like a putting green so it makes me look like you know it makes me look like the just the absolute worst you know I might as well just like put a you know Sanford and Son sign in front of my house or whatever it's just it doesn't look great I'm motivated but I don't do it like I should I don't always get out there and there's sometimes where anybody ever you you, maybe you've been using the weed eater or whatever and, and it's gas powered or there's a battery on it and it dies and then you just go, close enough. And you go and say, you know what I mean? Like, I, absolutely. So the motivation might be there, but you still choose to be lazy. Or maybe, maybe it's direction. I don't know what to do. But that's not always the case. What's, what's the central thing lacking for people who are lazy? And that's just a lack of initiative. They just won't act. They just won't, they know what to do, they know why they want to do it, but they just don't do it. And Proverbs 19.24 says this, some people are so lazy 
that they won't even lift a finger to feed themselves. Now, I think this is hyperbole. I don't think there are absolutely people out there who are starving, and there's food right there. You go, here's your happy meal, and there's food right there, and they're like, I just but it's so far away, right? I don't think that's the point. The point of this hyperbole is what? So many times the blessings of God are right there at our fingertips. If we would just reach out and take it, if we would just reach out and embrace what God has for us, without initiative, you won't have the blessings of God. You won't have them financially, spiritually, relationally, personally. You're going to miss out because you won't lift a finger. Now, some people in here, you're very close to tuning me out, maybe even quicker than you normally do, because you say, you know what? I'm not a lazy person. I've never been described that way. And that might be true. I'm thinking about there's a, there's a man in our church who... A couple years ago, uh, my lawnmower broke, and, and someone, I said, who can I take this to to fix? And someone said, you got to take it to this guy. So I did, and he, like, fixed it up. And, and just when I went to his house, he had all these projects. You know, anybody would bring him anything, he would fix it. You know, there were lawnmowers in there, weed eaters in there. I think there was a piece of the Hubble telescope, right? Like, there's all kinds of stuff there, and he would just do it. Like, he was a man of initiative, right? When it came to fixing things, he took initiative. Now, does that mean? That in all areas of his life, I wouldn't describe him as lazy, but does that mean in all areas of his life, he takes initiative? He has perfect initiative in every area of his life? No, no. I think the point is there are certain things in our lives where we naturally take initiative and other things we naturally don't want to. I mean, look at your, go into your home. I mean, do you have to take initiative for hobbies in your home? I don't have to take it. If it's something I'm interested in, it's a project I want to do, I don't need anybody to tell me to do it. I'm going to do it. There was this, uh, this video, video game thing with my sons, and I wanted to build this like shelving unit to hold it and make it look all cool, and I ordered these special lights offline to, to put underneath the shelves to shine down the walls and all this other stuff. Like, Did my wife have to tell me, would you order some cool accent lights and build like a shelving unit for all the... No, she didn't have to do it. I did it. However, are, do, do I always take our trash out when it needs to go out? Are there mornings where my wife has to say bad words to me and I have to chase the, the, the truck down the street? Yeah, that happens. Why? Because there are certain things where I, you just naturally want to take initiative. And there are certain things you naturally don't want to take initiative in. And so again, my point is this. All of us in here, whether you would be described as lazy or not, probably have an area of our lives where we do not want to take initiative. Bill Hybels, a famous pastor and author, he, he writes about it and he calls it this. This, was the, this phrase came from him, selective sluggardliness, all right? Selective sluggardliness. Now, this is a disease that is characterized by carefully constructed compartments where slothfulness reigns. These are areas of our lives where, again, we don't want to take the initiative. These these are areas where we allow, uh, we allow the choice of laziness to exist. We just say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to deal with all these other things and this, this over here. Let's, this, let's just call this my blind spot. Well, here's the problem. When we suffer from selective sluggardliness, say that three times fast. When we suffer from that, not only do we lack the blessings of God, but we also bring with it the consequences of the foolishness of ignoring the wisdom of God. An example of this, a a great biblical example of this, is a guy named Eli. This guy, he was the, the second to last prophet of God, judge of the, or judge of the people of God, not prophet, judge of the people of God, but he was a prophet. He blessed Hannah, who gave birth to Samuel. You know who Samuel is. He anointed Saul king, then uh, anointed uh, uh, David. 
Uh, so this guy's a big deal, like second to last judge. Like he was not a lazy guy. He had a ton of initiative when it came to serving God, a ton of initiative. But, but there's an area of his life where he did not take the initiative, where he was lazy. And that area of his life was in disciplining his sons. He had two boys that the Bible says were incredibly wicked. And they didn't respect people, and they didn't respect God. And ultimately, the end of, of Eli's life is really tragic. And it's all because of this blind spot, because there was an area of selective sluggardliness that he allowed to happen. And that was in the discipline of his boys. And his boys, they didn't respect the Lord. They didn't respect his people. And, and the, the people of Israel decided, hey, we're going to go win this battle. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant with us because definitely we will win. God will not allow the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of his, of his presence with God's people, with the, the mercy seat on it where God meets with us. There's no way he's going to let our enemies take it. So let's take this lucky charm with us. Eli's sons go along with them. They're not stopping the people, revealing to them this is not wise this is no they disrespect the lord just as much as the people do so they go along well uh eli finds out he's reclining at the city gate he finds out from from his daughter-in-law that his sons have been killed in battle not only that but the 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 ark of the covenant has been taken it's been it's lost from israel now and eli falls over from shock and breaks his neck and dies it's a tragic tragic end to Eli's life and where did it come from he had selective sluggardliness you would not call Eli a lazy man he would he had a ton of initiative when it came to serving God when it came to disciplining his children zero it was selective sluggardliness and you know I think we can all be like that we can all be selective with where we choose to to not take initiative where we choose to be lazy and why do we do that why do we lack initiative in certain areas well probably a lot of reasons maybe Let's run through a few. Maybe this, this excuse, I'm not perfect. You know, okay, so I don't manage my money well, but I'm a really great uh, volunteer at the church. I'm a really great dad. I spend a lot of time with my kids. So you know what? I don't take care of my money. Two out of three ain't bad. It's not that big a deal. Nobody's perfect, right? So maybe we make excuses for our laziness in that way. I'm not perfect. I can't be expected to be perfect. Maybe it's give it time. You know, we live in the age of, like, the power of positive thinking. And so if we just give it time, it's just going to get better. I had a conversation just the other day with somebody about money and about my personal finances, you know, and just how incredibly wealthy I am. No, we were talking, and I said, you know, when I was 22, 10 years ago, when I'm 22, and I'm thinking ahead to being 32, in my mind, I'm way more... Uh, I would be way more financially stable than I am now at 32. In my mind, I'd be 100% out of debt, and we'd be, like, we'd be saving money like crazy, and we'd be incredibly generous, and everything would be completely different. If, you, if I was 22, and if you asked me, when you're 32, what would your financial life look like, I would have given you a much different picture than what it is now. What steps did I take to make that happen when I was 22? Zero. Why? Because it'll just get better. I'll just grow up more and I'll mature more and it'll just happen, right? Like, it'll get better over, just, just give it time. Like, things work out. People say that all the time. Oh, it'll work out. Oh, it'll work out. Yeah, it'll just work out. Just give it time. And so we have that attitude and maybe that's why 
we have this selective laziness. Because, you know, it's all right. It'll work out. Over time, it'll work out, which is almost like magic. I'm just going to drift into a better tomorrow. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Maybe, maybe an excuse is, is later. Just later. And this is my signature move, procrastination, all right? And just a couple of quotes about procrastination always gives you something to look forward to. See? So that's nice. Like, that's a positive spin. Or the sooner I fall behind, the more time I'll have to catch up. Another thing, all right? Or I never put off till tomorrow what I can possibly do the day after that, right? And so I... I I like that, like that, that speaks to me, I'm, I'm all about some procrastination, like, you know what, we'll worry about that then, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Just recently, when we were in Virginia, um, Angela and I made a, a donation to the state of Virginia through a, a, a speeding ticket, and uh, I, was, I was going, like, it's real, there's a lot of mountains there, all right, and so we're going, to, and the speed limit's changing like crazy, and we got like four kids, like yelling or whatever, so I thought I was in a 70 when in reality I was in a 60. And so, uh, so I get pulled over and, you know, he said, do you realize how fast you're going? And I was like, I don't know what today is. Like, I'm just, we've been in the car for 18 hours. I'm sorry, I don't know. And so anyway, so he, he writes me the ticket. Um, it was Labor Day, so they were just, you know, the, the Labor Day quota or whatever. Um, so I, wa- I guess they're looking for people who are drinking. I wasn't drinking at that point. Uh, but anyway, I, so I got my ticket. And so Angela said, okay, well, when we get back and you get paid, I'll, I'll pay the ticket. And I said, or um, the people we came to visit are moving to Italy. And this is the first time I've ever been to Virginia. We could just worry about this the next time we have to come to Virginia, right? Like, when's the next time we got to come to Virginia? And she's like, they will issue a warrant for your arrest. And I was like, how cool is that? You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, my pastor, he's got warrants, right? Like, we can't. Oh, there's a church conference in Virginia. We can't go because my pastor has warrants in Virginia. But that was my, honestly, my attitude was like, don't worry about it, right? Like, we'll keep the money now. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll deal with that later. We'll pay the bail, right? Not a big deal. Or maybe, maybe it's a reason of, it's not my problem. You know, another one of my favorite sayings is, don't postpone something that your coworker can do today. Right? Like, maybe it's somebody else's problem. Like, I mean, when you think about, now, Angela, I've never done this, but maybe, have, have any of you ever, you have a side-by-side refrigerator, which are not made for adult humans uh, to, to keep all their food in? Like, that thing, it gets filled up instantly. It's never filled up with good stuff. I don't know why we have half-eaten boxes of whatever. Anyway, we just got all kinds of things, and so our freezer stays packed. Our freezer's constantly packed. And so, just last night, uh, my, uh, one of my kids comes up to me and says, can I have a Popsicle? And uh, I was like, absolutely, let's go get it. And then he was like, well, mommy said it. I couldn't have one now, but I could have one later. And I was like, and that's why you asked dad. So anyway, I was like, let's go get a popsicle. And so I open it, and I have to go into the cavern. You ever open your freezer door, and you know you're just holding it all in, and you just play this incredibly dangerous game of Jenga, and you pull out the popsicle, and I give it to my son, and then I'm like, go, 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 go. And we shut the door, and you hear things fall, and you hear them stop against the door. What do you do? In that moment, you, you carefully open it up and place it back in. No, no, no. No, you try to remember that the next time, like, someone's got to open the fridge, make someone else do it, right? Like, you, you, immediately, you just walk away and you go, somebody else's problem. I don't know. I'm just not, I don't need anything in the freezer anymore. And, and we have that attitude of it's not someone, it's someone else's responsibility. Someone else can do it. Or maybe, maybe it's the, the reason of I can't. I, I just can't. 
you feel ill-equipped. Or maybe you compare yourself to somebody else and you say, they could do it much better than me. You know, around here uh, at the church, I'm one of the go-to people when it comes to computer questions or technical issues. Probably because when you think about our pastors, like Randy and Chris, Brother John, uh, I think I'm the only one who wasn't born before World War II. And so, uh, so they always ask me these questions about technology. He's not even here. Uh, anyway, they, they ask questions about technology. And so, um, but there's, this, there's a guy here in our church who, he's our serious tech guy. Like, that's what he does for a career. And he's just, he speaks in binary sometimes. You know, like, he's just that type of guy. And he's, he's brilliant. And one, literally one day, I'm walking by his Sunday school class. And he's in there, and he's got a tablet. And then he's got, like, a, an antenna coming off the tablet. And I said, oh, what are you doing? He goes, oh, just tracking airplanes. And I was like, what? And I said, why are you doing that? And he said, I just, just wanted to see if I could do it, and I can. And I was like, all right, well, I'm pretty sure you're on some terror watch list. I'm leaving right now. Like, I can't be near you anymore. And he's, like, brilliant. And so there are times where, like, questions come up, and I just, I just feel like I can't. Like, he could do it so much better than I could do. Sure, I could duct tape this thing together, but he could really make it work. I can't do this. Like, why even try? I can't do this. Or maybe it's a what if. Maybe that's the reason. You're just afraid. What if, like, the fear of the unknown or the fear of failure. There's a great verse in Proverbs 22, and in verse 13 it says, The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. The sluggard's always looking for the lion. Always looking for the, the fear and the, and the reason to not initiate. I could make this change in my diet, sure. But what if we find out that organic food actually makes you fatter? See? Like, what if, right? Uh, sure, I could step out and build this relationship with this person and try to disciple them. But what if they don't want to and then they open an Instagram account where they only post unflattering pictures of me, right? Like, this could all go terribly bad for me. What if? What if? What if? And so sometimes we're selectively lazy because we're just afraid. And we're always looking for the lion outside of our door. And we don't initiate. And I keep calling these reasons, but what are they? They're excuses. And what's an excuse? It's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie, isn't it? And, and that's truly what all of these are. I mean, go back and look at these, believers. Check this out. I'm not perfect. That's your reason. You don't have to be. You just have to obey. Hebrews 11, is, if you go to Hebrews 11, you're going to see the hall of fame for faith. Like for our faith, the hall of fame is there. These are the, the big names. If we, had, if we had people's jerseys retired and hanging from the ceiling, Hebrews 11, it's filled with those people. We got Noah. Man, Noah, what a great man of faith. Preached repentance for 100 years. Built this, this, this boat in the middle of nowhere, right? Ready for this flood he had just believed would come. Was Noah perfect? Noah was a drunk. We see Sarah in there, like this, like trusted God and has this, has this like miracle baby, incredible. But Sarah was hateful and spiteful. Or you look at Jacob, you know, I mean, Jacob, what an incredible blessing of God. Like God renews his covenant with him. He's just going to make a great nation, all this other stuff. Jacob was a deceiver. I mean, that's his name. It's built right in. Moses, leading the people out of Egypt, fantastic. He was a murderer. Rahab. I mean, in the line of Jesus, Rahab, protecting the spies so that, that Israel can come into the land of Canaan. That's an incredible thing. She was a prostitute. King David, murderer, adulterer, Samson, arrogant, filled with lust. It's not that we have to be perfect. Paul even talks about weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, 
But he said to me, that's God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Taking initiative is not about being perfect. In fact, Paul says, if you're weak, that's a good thing. Taking initiative is not about being perfect or having it all together. Taking initiative is just about obeying and then watching God's strength come through. So you might say, I'm not good with my money. Take initiative to follow through with what you know God wants you to do. Be more faithful and watch God show up and do something you couldn't do. I'm not good with conflict. Take the initiative to have that hard conversation and watch God's strength show up and do something you couldn't do. I could volunteer, but you know what? I'm not the best at it. I know so-and-so so much better than me or whatever. Take the initiative. Step out in your weakness and watch God's strength show up and do something. I, you know, I'm not perfect. That's just an excuse. Not good enough. Or maybe it's give it time. Jesus tells this parable uh, about a guy who gives, gives his money to some managers. And he says, hey, take care of this while I'm out of town. And, and you see several of them, they invest it. And they, there's a return. He gets a return on it. But one guy, what does he do? He did exactly what I did when I was 22. He buried it in the ground. And he said, I don't know, something good will happen. Well, what happens? Well, a money tree grew and there was... All, no, what happens? Nothing. And the master is furious. He's absolutely furious. And sometimes that, that logic right there, it's the, same, it's the same logic we use. Well, something good will happen. That's not true. The Lord, if the Lord is prompting you to move and you don't, he isn't some like sonic waiter just, just ready to just roll up to your car with blessings or whatever. He's put this path in front of you. He's given you this opportunity. He's trusted you like this parable he told. He's trusted you. Now do something with it and I have great blessings for you. We have to move. If he's telling you to move, you got to move. Don't just give it time. Or maybe it's later. Another silly excuse. I mean, time flies. Last week we remembered September 11th. Do you remember where you were that moment when that happened? When you found out about the Twin Tower attack. Do you remember where you were? I remember exactly where I was. I remember the, the kids that were sitting around me as a senior in high school. I was in typing class. I remember the kids around me. I remember the game I was playing on the computer. I'm sorry. I'm in, I remember the work assignment I was doing on the computer. I remember what the teacher was wearing that came in in tears and turned the TV on so we could watch it. I remember all of that. I remember where I went after school that day. I remember everything about it. And you know, when we were, when we were watching uh, on CBS that, that morning, last Sunday morning before church, and I was watching the videos, and I saw those impacts over and over again, it brought me right back there, and I remembered it. And then they kept saying, the 15th anniversary. Can you believe that's 15 years ago? Can you? I mean, it's crazy, right? Time flies. It waits for no one. Until later, when? Time flies. It's going to move. It's not waiting on your procrastination. Or, or, I mean, for the fact that we aren't guaranteed anything. I mean, Proverbs 27, 1, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what that day will bring. Don't miss out on the blessing of now. Later is not, not a real reason. It's an excuse. Or not my problem. You know, Jesus in Matthew 25, he talks about the, the goat and the sheep dividing those who really followed him and those who didn't. And he says to the ones who really followed me, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. You were the people who saw needs all around you. And you were the people who didn't say, not my problem. You were the people who said, what can I do? 
What can I do? And that's what God is looking for. You think it's an accident? God's in perfect control of your life. You think it's an accident that the needs around you are, the, are around you? Do you think it's coincidence that the person with that crazy need came and talked to you? It's no accident. And the reality is, according to Matthew 25, God is not going to stand there and ask you, why didn't your neighbor do anything? Or what did, what did your church do about it? What's he going to say? What did you do? What did you do? And Jesus says, my followers are the people who don't say, not my problem, my followers are the people who say, what can I do? This is my responsibility. I mean, James 4, 17, it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. If you know you should move and you don't, you pass the buck, it's sin. Not my problem, that's a lame excuse. I can't. Hebrews 13, 21, listen to this. May God equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do we got there? He's going to equip you, and he's going to do the work through you. Yeah, 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 but I can't. He's going to equip you. He's going to do the work through you. Yeah, but I can't. He's going to equip you, and he's going to do the work through you. I can't. I agree. I can't. Absolutely. He can't. He says, I'll give you what you need, and I will do the work through you. I can't. It's not an excuse. It's just an excuse. Or lastly, what if? Just that fear. Well, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. No. It's a spirit of power, right? No fear. The fear of the unknown. Like, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what I'm going to run into. What does Jesus say? I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm right there with you. You know, I think about um, when my wife brought my son to school for the first time. It reminds me of, 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 I remember when I was a kid going to school. You know, I remember visiting the school with, with my parents. And I remember all the way up from middle school to high school, even into college, my parents being there, there was something about that that was so comforting. Why? Did it, did it give me any view into what I was walking into? No. My parents didn't go to the college I went to. They didn't go to the high school I went to. They didn't know. They didn't know what was in front of me. They didn't know what kind of students I went to school with. They didn't know all of that. But it didn't matter. I was comforted. Why? Because they were with me. I knew they were right there with me. And so what ifs? The fear of the unknown? The unknown will always be there. But what do we have to fear? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? Who could possibly be in the unknown who's greater than God? Nobody. He's with us. What do we have to fear? Or the fear of failure. Why do we fear failure? I fear failure, one, because I don't want to be made a fool of. And the scriptures say that those who trust the Lord will not be put to shame. It doesn't mean that people won't think you're a fool. It just means that you, you won't ever truly be a fool. Like God's not wasting your time. He's not riling you up. He's not making you the butt of a joke. Okay, so I don't have to be afraid to fail then. And I also, I fear failure because I don't want to waste my time. Well, Romans 8 tells me that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means because of God's perfect control, he's never wasting my time. My failures serve me. All of them serve me. Why? Because God's that masterful in his work. What do I have to fear? I have nothing to fear. And so in what areas do we need to ask, am I initiating? We've seen all of our excuses. We know they're just that. So what areas are, are we initiating? What are the areas we should examine? 
Well, Jesus said to love God and love people, so we should examine that. First, we should examine ourselves spiritually. Am I initiating in my relationship with God? And you might say, well, that's not how relationships work. That sounds like a lot of work, right? Imagine you're not in a relationship, right? I imagine you don't have friends if you think that way. Relationships are work. They're good work. It's a joyful work, but it's work. Are you initiating in the same way you do with your earthly relationships? Are you initiating in your relationship with God? Or do you just like come to church and let people tell you about him? Or are you initiating? I mean, imagine if you were married and, and you treated your spouse the same way you treated God. You initiated as much in your marriage as you initiate in your, in your relationship with God if you only show up on Sundays. Like you just, what, you just call somebody once a week and say, tell me about my wife. Cool, right? And then ignore, ignore them the rest of the time. Are you initiating in your relationship with God? Personally, personally, examine yourself personally. Am I initiating for myself? Is there a personal challenge or discipline that the Lord wants you to examine or the Lord wants you to have? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's reaching out and asking somebody else for help. Are you personally initiating on, on your behalf? Are you, are you initiating relationally? Am I initiating in my relationships with families or friends? Or, or am I just waiting for them to come to me? I'll never turn anybody away. But are you going out to them? Are you initiating those relationships? Or even in the local church, am I initiating here in the body of Christ? Not waiting to be asked, but just going out and filling the needs around me. It's not someone else's problems, it's mine. Is that our attitude here in this church? I mean, imagine a church like that. I mean, and look at how many people are in this room. Imagine if in this room that was our attitude. We were a people, I would love it. As a pastor, if instead of my problem being, we get in staff meeting and, and we go, what are we going to ask our people to do on Sunday? How are we going to beg them to come help us with this? Instead, we had to deal with, I mean, we just can't get, us, get them to leave us alone. I mean, there's just like, they constantly are doing stuff. They're always visiting each other, taking care of each other. I mean, I can't even do hospital visits because they're all visiting each other. As soon as they find out they're there and they're bringing them meals, I mean, what are we supposed to do, Right. Could you imagine what God would do with a church of people who were initiating? When they saw the needs, they just filled a hole. They didn't wait for someone to come to them. They didn't wait for, the, for it to be an easier hole to fill. They just did it. They initiated. So are we initiating in our church? And so what does is, what is taking the initiative look like biblically? That's what I want to close with. What does taking the initiative look like biblically? Because you can be reckless with initiative. You absolutely can be. You can be reckless. You can take that initiative. You can be ex incredibly excited and passionate and move on. And you can do that in a way that's reckless. So, so let's see what the scriptures tell us. If you're in Proverbs 6, if you're still there in Proverbs 6, just look at the, the previous three verses, 6 through 8. We have the example of an ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. There are three things you see about the ant here. One, if we're going to initiate, we need clear goals. We need clear goals. The ant knows what she wants. She wants food. There's, there, it's not she's just going to feel it out. I'm just going to wander around. And when I feel a perceived, when there's a perceived need there, I'm just going to go ahead and grab it and whatever. No, she knows what she wants. She's got a clear goal. So do you have goals? Maybe you're not a natural goal setter. Maybe that's not you. Well, the scriptures tell us that without vision, the people perish. Like we are God's a God of order. He set us up that way. We respond that way to goals. So do you have goals personally? Do you have goals for your family, for your children? Do you have goals for your finances? Do you have goals for your health? Do you have goals for your spiritual disciplines? We need goals because we need to move towards them. We can't just, again, drift into a better tomorrow. Are you setting clear goals? Are you setting clear goals? The second thing, 
an actionable plan, an actionable plan. The ant has a plan and follows through. She prepares and she gathers. That's what the scriptures tell, tell us. So do you have action steps? A plan is, uh, uh, an idea is great. A clear goal is great. But without a plan, you're never going to get there. So, so do you have action steps? You know, sometimes that's all I need to get me from point A to point B is I need, I need an actionable plan. Because without it, I just see all steps 1 through 10 at once and it's overwhelming. You know, the other day, my son, someone, uh, someone, I believe someone in here uh, got my son for his birthday um, a Lego set. It was like a 500-piece Lego set. So I'd like to go ahead and say thank you for that. And so uh, I, I opened the box, and there are four, are you listening to me? Four different instruction books, right? You have to put this together in stages. I guess that's for the protection of yourself and the health of your family so you don't start punching people. And so anyway, like, I'm, I'm going through that. But you know what? When I just slow down and I could just say, okay, this is the first step, I'm cool. Like, I got all these pieces. I don't know what half of them do, but okay, I just got to find these two and stick them together. Step one, done. But if I don't have those steps and I just see all those pieces there, all the steps are hitting me at once and I'm overwhelmed. In the same way, like sometimes you might have a great goal and you've got all these ideas of how to get there, but without those steps laid out, without that actionable plan, it's overwhelming. You don't know where to begin. Okay, take the first step. What's the first step? I don't know, but this step's important too, and we can't forget this step and all this other stuff. Make an actionable plan. So you know what you want for your children. What steps will you take to get there? You know where you want to be with your spiritual life. What steps will you take to get there? You know what you want for your church. What steps will you take to get there? We need an actionable plan. The last one is motivation. We see with the ant there in verse 6 that the ant's a self-starter. There's no chief, there's no officer, there's no ruler. Why? Why does she have that follow through? Because she's motivated. And so are you motivated enough to follow through? To take those, those steps and actually follow through? Are you motivated enough? And we all have the greatest motivation in the world. Jesus gave everything for us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are not your own bought with a price. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Jesus gave himself for us. We have that motivation that God gave himself for us. We also have the motivation that now we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We have that motivation to please that master who gave everything for us. So now, whatever our goal is, whatever our action steps are, we have the motivation to follow through because Colossians 3.23 says we need to work heartily as if working for the Lord. So we will follow through. We do have that motivation. It reminds me of John Wesley, famous pastor, of course, preacher. He traveled 250,000 miles on horseback, averaging about, uh, averaging about 20 miles a day for 40 years. He preached 4,000 sermons, produced 400 books, knew 10 languages. At 83, he was annoyed that he couldn't write for more than 15 hours a day. And at age 86, he was ashamed he couldn't preach more than twice a day. And he complained in his diary that there's an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. Now, was someone giving him those deadlines? No. No one was behind him going, John, you got to get up. You only preached two times a day. What is wrong with you? You've got to get back on that horse. You only wrote for 15 hours a day. You are worthless. Like, no one's giving him these deadlines. No one's pushing him. Why in the world is he following through? He's setting these lofty goals. He's got this plan of how to do it, and then he's following through. Why? When it's so easy not to, why is he following through? Because he's incredibly motivated out of a deep gratitude for what Jesus has done for him and done for all of us. 
And so he's motivated. He'll follow through. That's why he wrote, this is one of his prayers, Lord, let me not live to be useless. He had motivation. And we have the same motivation. The same Jesus who gave himself for John Wesley is the same Jesus who gave himself for you and me. We have the same motivation. We all have that motivation. We live and we move and we breathe and we have relationships and we work and we do all that we do because of the king and for the king. We have a great motivation. So if the Lord's telling you to take some initiative in your life today, if he's diagnosed you there with that selective sluggardliness and he's telling you to take a move today, then what are your goals? Set some goals. What are your action steps to reach those goals? And don't ever forget your motivation. We work for the king. We don't work just to check off goals. We don't work just to follow through on our action steps. We are working hard to honor the king, the one who gave himself for us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, I I thank you so much um, for the opportunity to work um, for your kingdom. We know that's why we're here. Lord, for the people in this room who know you and follow you, um, we are, we're saved from the penalty of our sin, and yet we're still here. And we're here because you have work for us to do. Lord, you want to grow us up to be more like you. You want us to, and you want us to, to call people to yourself. You want us to live in such a way that people would see you in the way that we live. We have work to do. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that for myself and for my brothers and sisters listening, Lord, is that we would take the initiative. We wouldn't be selectively lazy. We wouldn't, we wouldn't accept these excuses anymore. We recognize that they're there to keep us lazy. They're there to keep us um, uh, demotivated. They're there to keep us away from the blessings that you have for us, that are right at our fingertips. If we would just grab them, we would just take the initiative, be obedient, and grab them. So God, help us with that. Give us clear guidance. Please, Lord, you, you tell us if anyone lacks wisdom, ask you and you will give it to us. And you'll give it to us in abundance because you're generous. And so, God, we ask for it. We ask for, for an abundance of wisdom this morning in this room for us as we examine our lives. And, God, we want our lives to honor you. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to, to not honor you in certain areas of our lives, Lord. We want to break down all the walls. We want to take apart all the compartments. It's all yours. Help us apply the wisdom of your word to our lives and to take initiative. Give us the wisdom to set clear goals. Give us the wisdom to come up with an actionable plan. Give us the the faithfulness to never forget why we're doing this. To be motivated. To pray that same prayer of John Wesley. Don't ever let us live to be useless. So Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, now as we go to, uh, we come to your table and we remember your body broken and your blood poured out. My prayer for this morning for my brothers and sisters, this would be a time of celebration and a time of, um, of reflection. As we not ceremoniously, not, not just culturally remember, but God, as we really intimately, personally remember your body broken and blood poured out for us. 
It's very personal for us this morning. And may we respond well. Lord, I also pray that there be people in this room who'd come to know you today. That God, there'd be people who have heard all morning about your deep love for them. And they've heard just now about your body broken and blood poured out for them to pay the penalty of their sin so they can be forgiven and have a new life. Lord, I pray they'd embrace that new life this morning. They'd surrender to you. They'd start following you today. Not wait. Not the excuse of later. Not the excuse of give it time. That Lord, today would be the day where they'd say, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for you now. Forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Give me a fresh start. Lord, I pray that would happen today as well. But we trust you. We trust what you're going to do. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.